You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter here at The Post. And today our guest is Philadelphia Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw. Uh, as part of our continuing conversations about protecting public safety and the role of policing. Welcome to Washington Post Live, Commissioner Outlaw. Thank you, thank you for having me. And we wanna remind our audience that we want you to join our conversation. It doesn't just have to be the two of us up here. So please tweet your questions and comments to the handle at Post Live. One word, at Post Live. All right, Commissioner, we're supposed to be talking about public safety, but there's a breaking news story happening in Philadelphia that I think you probably wanna weigh in on. Uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer had a heck of a story yesterday about the large number of Philadelphia police officers who are on sick or injury leave, more than 10% of your department. Uh, former Commissioner Chuck Ramsey, well-known here in this area, called it the biggest scam going. Uh, is this a problem? And is there anything you can do about it? Absolutely, it's a problem. And I actually appreciate you asking me about that because I think there's a lot of interconnectedness in what we're trying to accomplish with uh, lowering our crime rates here, right? You can have the best plan, on the planet, but if you don't have the resources to to implement it, uh, I, I think we see what happens. Um, all of that to say, uh, you know, this is the result of legislation here that's existed long before my arrival, long before my predecessor's arrival. Um, but the the uh, reason why this legislation was even put on the books was to protect officers who legitimately were injured and to ensure that they had a pathway forward to either help themselves uh, heal and then return to work or to at some point uh, find other ways to uh, be employed if it's deemed that they could no longer work here with the police department. What we found is that there are a lot of people here that take advantage of that and while they may be injured initially at some point, um, whether you know they, they say it's on duty, um, but they found ways to stretch it out. And then they also found ways because of maybe some delays in the process to find other ways to employ themselves while they were collecting a check from the city of Philadelphia. The problem with that is, you know, I've been here for two years and we've been through everything, you name it, for the last two years here, whether it's civil unrest, um, you know, the increases in violent crimes that we've seen, you name it, the pandemic, everything related to that. And there are still very strong hearted strong-willed men and women here in this department that show up every day. And because of the fact that there are individuals that choose to scam the system, these individuals that show up and show out every day um, are now taking the burden, taking on the burden of the additional work or, or the added hours or working overtime because of those individuals who choose to scam the system. So it's absolutely a problem. I think it's deplorable. And, you know, we will continue to work through our Internal Affairs Bureau, identify these issues or identify these individuals um, and, you know, investigate them, refer them to risk management, who then takes the investigation on uh, from there and determines if there is further investigation that needs to be done and or criminal charges that need uh, to be filed. But we will continue to do our part on that. Okay, I had I saw that you had just issued a statement on that, so I'm glad you were able to touch on that. Uh, and yeah. uh, we can go back now to uh, crime, which I'm sure yeah. you're looking forward to talking about. And we do need to point out, you pointed it out, that you've been the police chief there for only two years, police commissioner, 
Uh, you were the chief in Portland before that, and you were a deputy chief in Oakland before that. Uh, there's been a surge in violent crime across the country, but Philadelphia has been particularly hard hit. And last year, uh, you had an all-time record high of 562 homicides. And this came after years where most of the country was seeing sort of a steady decline. So what changed in terms of violent crime, either nationwide or in Philadelphia? I mean, what, why is the spike going that way now? You know, I, I think um, a lot of ac academic folks are still trying to figure it out, right? Here in Philadelphia, the violent crime has been steadily increasing since 2015, but no one's seen the type of spikes that we all have seen, um, you know, in recent history that began in 2020. We're also seeing, I will tell you this, we got a record number of guns off the street last year, close to 6,000, and we're already trending in 2022 so far this year to even surpass that. So we know for a fact that accessibility to guns is clearly an issue. And I'm not talking about people that are purchasing uh, guns illegally, they're storing them. If they're lost or stolen, they report them. I'm not talking about those individuals. I'm talking about people that are carrying guns illegally and then they're using said guns to commit crimes. We're seeing guns fall into the hands of younger people, juveniles. Uh, far more readily. Our shooters are becoming younger and as such our victims, our shooting victims are becoming younger. We're seeing individuals that have either, say for example, if they are a suspect or an offender, depending on where you are in the country, some people may say perpetrator, um, but typically these individuals have either been victims of a shooting before or um, they have had gun cases. They've been arrested for a violation, what we call here in Philadelphia, a violation of the Uniform Firearm Act, which is carrying a firearm illegally. Um, so either they may have open cases or they've been arrested for this before. And with the court closures in 2020, our courts were closed for an entire year. There are a lot of people that quite frankly should have been in custody that were not or they were pending court cases and they were waiting for some sort of um, for resolution to their case. So there's so many things that we think have impacted uh, the violent crime that we saw here in the city. I think it's also worth noting that, you know, we're the fourth largest police department in the country. Um, we're a major city, but we're also probably the poorest major city in the country. So all of the issues that the city experienced prior to the pandemic around access to housing, access to education, access to wealth, all of the things that typically if an individual had them would, uh, you know, would be less inclined to commit a crime. All of these things are the systemic inequities that we knew existed prior to the pandemic were exacerbated uh, during the pandemic. So there's so many different things that we think um, lent to this spike that we saw over the last two years, but now we have to go back to what we know works to get these numbers to decrease. Well, you answered about six different questions that I had lined up for you there in just that one answer. Uh, let's start with guns, right? An amazing number of crime guns seized by you guys last year, but is, does that make a difference? Will the flow of guns just keep coming? Uh, What's your frustration level with, you know, the easy availability of guns on the street in 2022? It's very frustrating, very frustrating. I mean, we're in Pennsylvania. The gun laws are, you know, pretty loose here. Again, I don't have anything against people that are buying them legally and they're using them legally. I have an issue with those who are purchasing them legally 
and then they're in turn putting them in the hands of those who shouldn't have them. So we're talking about straw purchasing. I'm talking about people that don't properly store their guns and now they're stolen or they're used in other crimes, right? Um, I think there can be some clear or some common sense legislative fixes, but in the meantime, before that happens, if it ever happens, we just need to make sure that there are proportionate consequences for those who are illegally carrying guns and using them here in the city of Philadelphia, because we know that there's a nexus between the shootings, the non-fatal shootings that we're seeing and our homicides. And, you know, it, it's no secret that a non-fatal shooting could turn into a homicide depending on the location, depending on to proximity of a hospital or, you know, the just where the person was shot. So if we focus on the low hanging fruit, if we make very clear that there will be very serious consequences for those who are committing very serious violent crimes, I think that will get a, us a very, very long way. You talked about the socioeconomic situation in Philadelphia. Uh, it's, I would note that 80% of the victims of last year's homicides were African-American, uh, particularly black men. Uh, the Brady campaign says gun violence is a racial justice issue. Do you agree? And what's driving that? I mean, when you look at it, just depends on, you know, context, right? It's absolutely uh, disparities here. When you see the numbers, right? It, it's so sad. I respond. Let me let me back up. When I first got here, I said, as the police commissioner, I am going to respond to the types of calls or critical incidences that are so far few in between that people know when the police commissioner show up, this is something really, really bad, right? I had to come up with my team, had to come up with a a uh, uh, like a call out roster because there were so many children being shot whether through ne negligence, right, through their parents or their guardians leaving firearms in places um, that were easily accessible to young people. So now I have an eight-year-old that accidentally shot and killed themselves, or an eight-year-old that accidentally shot a younger sibling or cousin, or pregnant women being shot. And it was happening so much that I found myself not only losing sleep anyway, but I wasn't getting a decent night's sleep because I was responding so much. I share this because when I arrive to these scenes, it's not like we can just completely block out that there's human beings behind these stats that we share. When you walk through these homes and you see photos, right? For me, I said, oh my gosh, any one of these individuals could be a family member because there was they look like me. And the more you think about it, this is potential. These are generation, we're losing an entire generation of, of young people or individuals um, that identify as black or brown. That is a problem and it's a crisis. And until everyone gets on the same page and recognizes that it's a crisis, we're gonna continue the same thing in 2022, 2023 and so on and forth, so forth. So yes, there are disparities. Um, you know, there's again, uh, disparities across the system, but when we don't fix the low hanging fruit, when we don't fix the drivers, for us on the enforcement end, we knew that domestic violence, narcotic sales, access to weapons and beefs or social media beefs, arguments, we're driving a lot of the non-fatal shootings and homicides that we saw. 
So what is it that we think we should do? Common sense tells us that we try to uh, go upstream and nip it in the bud, right? What are we doing to address our narcotic sales? What are we doing to ensure that there's domestic violence awareness or that our victims or potential victims are getting the resources that they need? What are we doing? Because we're behind in policing. What are we doing to ensure that we're on the up and up with technology to get behind some of these social media uh, beefs or arguments that we're seeing? Obviously, we can't be social media police, um, but we have to do what we can. So where does the data and the intelligence take us? If the data and intelligence is taking us in the area or in the direction of black and brown people are losing their lives, I think that's only common sense in saying, yes, there's a disparity there and there's an equity issue there. And there's something that we have to address upstream to ensure that there's justice later on down the road. You talked about going into folks' houses and seeing their pictures, <clears throat> excuse me. What do you say at that moment to people? Do you talk about big issues or are you just trying to be consoling a shoulder? What 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 do you say in that situation? It's it's very difficult. It's difficult. You know, I focus on the moment. I can recall hugging an eight year old who had seen her younger sibling accidentally shoot himself in the head and she I felt her shoulder shaking and she was trembling and she was crying so hard. I knew for sure that my uniform shirt would be drenched. By the time I let her go, I saw that she was all cried out. She couldn't even get a tear out. That's how traumatized she was. So in that moment, all I could do was focus on the best way of being a human being. And as a mother, my boys are 23 and 20, right? That, that's the first hat that I wear. I'm a mother first. I'm a family member first. And then all the, you know, the law enforcement comes after. But all I focus on is the, in the moment is, is humanity. All of the small talk and the important things about the case or the investigation, you know, I leave that for our detectives here. When I show up, my intent is to not only show that I care, but to let everyone know that, you know, all of the responding officers are also human beings. And this has an impact on us as well. Typically, uh, you know, our officers are the first ones that get there and we're the ones scooping up victims and transporting them to the hospital. It's not an ambulance. Uh, so this has a really, uh, deep impact on all of us, and we all have a vested interest in wanting to see these numbers go down. Well, I hadn't thought about that. That's yet another impact on police that they have to actually transport victims. Uh, yeah. You put out a, a quarterly police reforms report last month, the PowerPoint, that talked about a lot of the challenges your department has faced the last two years. You mentioned, and you mentioned them here earlier, budget cuts, social unrest, and social media sort of burdensome challenges. How have those factors made, specifically made policing harder? I think it's made uh, our work more challenging, not just here in Philadelphia, but for all of my colleagues. You know, I meet with my colleagues regularly. We all speak about it. We exchange notes. We talk about what's driving crime. And then we talk about potential implications of our strategies, but then also roadblocks or challenges or bottlenecks. And, you know, upon my arrival here, um, you know, I was almost immediately asked to identify budget cuts. It was the same for many of my colleagues around the country. Um, specifically here in Philadelphia, I had a corporal that was murdered, ambushed. And then within a month, the pandemic hit and we had to identify new ways to police because, you know, we're very 
social beings as human beings, but the police as law enforcement, you know, uh, first responders, we're going into people's homes. We don't know who we're dealing with until we get there. We don't know what we have until we get there. And then all again, all of the other social issues that were exacerbated by the pandemic, we were still dealing with that. And then we were also dealing with a changing narrative. We found ourselves at the beginning of a new movement. And I say movement because I don't think it was a moment in time. There was an opportunity there to make some really meaningful change as it relates to reform and transformation. But we still found that there were a core group, a lot of people in the community um, that said, whoa, 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 wait, we want reform, but we still want cops and we want to see you. So it's almost as if we were being asked to do everything and nothing at the same time. Meaning we want you to do more. We want increased visibility. We want our re response times to be quick and hasty. We want our clearance rate and as we should, right? Everybody expects and should have these services. Uh, you know, clearance rate should improve some an area that we have to work on. Oh, but by the way, we don't want to give you the money to do that or give you additional funding. And, you know, I think if there were more conversations with people like myself and my colleagues, I think people would have been surprised to learn that we don't disagree that additional funding needed to be placed into services, but not at uh, the, the um, expense of the police department. If you want more training, if you want more equipment, if you want us to be the best of the best and provide op optimal service and ensure uh, that you know we're keeping up with contemporary policing practices practices that calls for investment not divestment so there was a lot of competing interest in 2020 that continued on into 2021 with okay we know we want more but we're still having this conversation around defund and now we're starting to slowly hear more conversation about reinvestment when myself and my colleagues have been saying for many, many years that it's not an either or, it's an and. You can have reform and accountability and, and you can allow the police to be the police and allow us to have a visible presence, allow us to have the tools that we need, give us the technology, allow us to put a cop on every corner, meaning that we have to increase our funding by allowing for more recruitment and then being creative in how we retain. How are we incentivizing our individuals to stay given everything that we've gone through in the last two years? And I'm not just talking about police officers, it's dispatchers as well. So it's still a conversation that's being had, but we're slowly starting to see the narrative change a little bit, but we're still left with the resources of 2020. So we're being asked to do more, but we have way less uh, that I had a year ago or even two years ago. I have 10% less uh, staffing that I had uh, or that this department had uh, back in 2015. So it's real easy to try to compare apples to apples and say, well, back in this year, we knew this worked. Why don't we do this again? We don't have nearly the amount of staffing that we had then. So a lot of things in 2022 that not only has to be reassessed, but we really need to think about the conversations that's being had around public safety and how we can publicly support law enforcement, but also at the same time hold us accountable and, and publicly acknowledging that the two are not mutually exclusive. All right, we've got a question uh, from the audience on Twitter uh, from Carolina Goodman who asks, what is the current Philadelphia Police Department support for DA Krasner? who, for those who don't know, Larry Krasner is a uh, liberal prosecutor who has taken a different approach to prosecuting low-level crimes and bail, de-emphasizing nonviolent arrests. So, and he's uh, aggressively uh, 
sought police files and prosecuted police officers. So uh, what is your police department relationship with the district attorney? I will tell you this, we are, we're all part of a criminal justice system and it would behoove every facet of the criminal justice system to be in alignment. I rolled out a strategic plan in June of 2020 and I made very clear uh, in the action plan that there were some implications there, right? I can only pretty much control those who work for me. The problem is, is that if there are key um, ideological differences amongst partners within the criminal justice system, it makes it very difficult um, to execute a plan. The reason why I say that is this, there are areas where we agree, but there are very key areas where we don't agree. And, you know, the public, it's important for the public to know that, you know, we're working together, which we do, but it also needs to be made very clear that there are some fundamental areas where we disagree. One of those areas is what I talked about earlier, right? I believe that we have to um, go very hard after those who are carrying firearms illegally. And that's because we're seeing a lot of these illegal firearms at the root of a lot of these non-fatal shootings and, and homicides that we're seeing. There's a different principle uh, or a different belief or a different philosophy in the DA's office. But I will say this, it's 2022. Uh, last year, we experienced 562 homicides, which is sickening. There are 562 mothers or fathers or both who will not be at the dinner table or not have the ability to see their loved ones this year. There is nothing more important to me and this police department in this day and age right now than making sure that we get these numbers down, we ensure everybody is safe. It's not too late. It's not too late to get on board. It's not too late to be aligned. And I think, um, you know, at some point, for those, and it's not just the DA, whomever it is, if we're not on the same page, then okay, you continue to do what it is that you're doing over there. But for the Philadelphia Police Department, we will maintain our priorities and we will uh, be more focused and precise as ever to make sure that we're getting the most violent individuals off the street. We're doing what we can to arrest key individuals and get the right people off the street and lower crime in these small pockets of the city that we know are driving the largest numbers of crime citywide. That leads me into a question that your uh, PowerPoint mentioned, which was Operation Pinpoint. I think that's what you might have just been referring to. Yes. Uh, yes. What is that? I mean, it sounds good. Tell us more. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, depending on where you are in the country, I keep saying this because I recognize it might have a different name depending on where you are. This is my third state that I've worked in. Um, and, you know, in Oakland, it was ceasefire. Um, I brought it to Portland and I, I, you know, we called it something else. It was our gun violence initiative. And here it's under the umbrella. So Operation Pinpoint, all, all its focus deterrence, right? Um, and what the, what the principle states is that uh, it's, we, we know that there's a small percentage of individuals that are responsible for committing or driving the largest percentage of crime here citywide. It's the same thing with places in the city. There are small pockets in the city that's driving the largest percentage of our violent crime here. So the whole concept under the city's Philadelphia Roadmap for Safer Communities is uh, how do we as a police department operationalize that? And we do that through Operation Pinpoint, Pinpoint being very precise. And so in each district, 
throughout the city, there are pinpoint grids. Those are our areas that's driving crime. We flood those areas with resources, whether on the on the enforcement end, investigative end, it's working with our local, state, federal partners to ensure that every resource that's available are focusing on these particular um, grids or places, problematic areas within the city, and then even more so on the individuals within those areas. The whole point of doing that, again, is to focus on those small percentages of the population that's driving the numbers. And it's also making sure that we're not casting a wide net. We are spear fishing. We're being as precise as possible. And so the whole point is ensuring alignment, not just on the enforcement end, but then also ensuring that our enforcement efforts are sustained through the city services, through the social services or human services end. So it's a hand in hand operation uh, with the police department, our law enforcement, um, the federal agencies, prosecution, federal prosecutors, uh, you name it, and everyone in between, including the services realm, to ensure that we are addressing, again, these small pockets. And then ultimately, if we're successful, we'll drive down the citywide numbers because we're focusing on these small pinpoint grids uh, within the city that are the drivers of the crime. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time and we'll have to leave it there. Uh -huh. I hope we were able to cover some of the things that you want to talk about today, Commissioner. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Uh Thank you for having me this afternoon. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.